summer holidays and the Easter holidays came and went, and the summer term began at school. Grandmama and I had already planned to take our summer holiday in Norway, and we talked about almost nothing else every evening. She had booked a cabin for each of us on a boat from Newcastle to Oslo, and at the earliest possible moment after my school broke up, and from Oslo she was going to take me to a place that she knew down on the south coast near Arendelle, where she had spent her own summer holidays as a child nearly 80 years ago. All day long, my brother and I were out in the rowing boat. The whole coast is dotted with tiny islands, and there's nobody on them. We used to explore them and dive into the sea off the lovely, smooth granite rocks. And sometimes, on the way out, we would drop the anchor and fish for cod and whiting. And if we caught anything, we'd build a fire on an island and fry the fish in a pan for our lunch. There is no finer fish in all the world than absolutely fresh cod. What did you use for bait, Grandmama, when you went fishing? Mussels. Everyone uses mussels for bait in Norway. And if we didn't catch any fish, we would boil the mussels in a saucepan. Were they good? Delicious. Cook them in seawater and they're tender and salty. What else did you do, Grandmama? We used to row out and wave to the shrimp boats on their way home, and they would stop and give us a handful of shrimps each. The shrimps were still warm from being just cooked, and we would sit in the rowing boat, peeling them and gobbling them up. The head was the best part. The head? Yes, you squeeze the head between your teeth and suck out the inside. It's marvelous. You and I will do all these things this summer, my darling. But when there were only three weeks of the summer term left, an awful thing happened. Grandmother got pneumonia. She became very ill, and a trained nurse moved into the house to look after her. The doctor explained to Luke that pneumonia is not normally a dangerous illness nowadays because of penicillin, but when a person is more than 80 years old, as grandmother was, then it was very dangerous indeed. He said he didn't even dare to move her to hospital in this condition, so she stayed in her bedroom. Can I go in and see her? No, dear, not at the moment. One evening, about ten days later, the nurse came downstairs. You can go in and see her now, but only for a short time. She's been asking for you. Grandmama? They won't let me have my cigar, but you wait till they're gone. She's a tough old bird. We'll have her up in another week. The nurse was right. Within a week, Grandmama was thumping around the house with her gold-topped cane and interfering with the nurse's cooking. But the doctor dropped a bombshell on us by telling us that on no account were we to risk the journey to Norway this summer. Rubbish! I've promised him we'll go! It's too far. It would be very dangerous. 
But I'll tell you what you can do. You can take your grandson to a nice hotel on the south coast of England instead. The sea air is just what you need. In the end, the doctor had his way about the holiday, but not about the cigar. Rooms were booked in a place called the Hotel Magnificent in the famous seaside town of Bournemouth. Bournemouth, grandmother said, was full of old people like the doctor himself. They retired there by the thousands because the air was so bracing and healthy it kept them. So they believed, alive for a few extra years. Does it? Of course not. It's Tommy Rot. But just for once, I think we've got to obey the doctor. Soon after that, they took the train to Bournemouth and settled into the Hotel Magnificent. It was an enormous white building on the seafront, and it looked like a pretty boring place to spend a summer holiday. I had my own separate bedroom, but there was a door connecting my room with Grandmama's room so that we could visit each other without going into the corridor. Just before we left for Bournemouth, my grandmother had given me a consolation, a present of two white mice in a little cage, and of course I took them with me. They were terrific fun, those mice. I called them William and Mary. And in the hotel, I set out right away teaching them to do tricks. The first trick I taught them was to creep up my sleeve of my jacket and to come out onto my neck. Then I taught them to climb up the back of my neck onto the top of my head. I did this by putting cake crumbs in my hair. On the very first morning after our arrival, the chambermaid was making my bed when one of my mice poked its head out. The maid let out a shriek that brought a dozen people running to see who was being murdered. I was reported to the manager. I cannot permit mice in my hotel, ma'am. How dare you say that when your rotten hotel is full of rats anyway? Rats? There are no rats in this hotel. I saw one this very morning. It was running down the corridor into the kitchen. That is not true. You had better get the rat catcher in at once before I report you to the public health authorities. I expect there's rats scuttling all over the kitchen floor and stealing the food off the shelves and jumping in and out of the soup. Never! No wonder my breakfast toast was all nibbled round the edges this morning. No wonder it had a nasty, ratty taste. If you're not careful, the health people will be ordering this entire hotel to be closed before everyone gets typhoid fever. You are not being serious, madam. I was never more serious in my life. Are you or are you not going to allow my grandson to keep his white mice in his room? May I suggest a compromise, madam? I will permit him to keep them in his room as long as they are never allowed out of the cage. How's that? That will suit us very well. There is no way you can train mice inside a cage. Yet Luke dared not let them out because the chambermaid was spying on him all the time. She had a key to the door and she kept bursting in at all hours, trying to catch him with the mice out of the cage. 
she told Lou that the first mouse to break the rules would be drowned in a bucket of water by the hall porter. He decided to seek a safer place where he could carry on with the training. There must surely be an empty room in this enormous hotel. He put one mouse into each trouser pocket and wandered downstairs in search of a secret spot. The ground floor of the hotel was a maze of public rooms, all of them named in gold letters on the door. He wandered through the lounge and the smoking room and the card room and the reading room and the drawing room. None of them were empty. Luke went down a long, wide corridor, and at the end of it, he came to the ballroom. There were double doors leading into it, and in front of the doors, there was a large notice board on a stand. The notice on the board said, RSPCC meeting, strictly private. This room is reserved for the annual meeting of the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. The double doors into the room were open. He peeped in. It was a colossal room. There were rows and rows of chairs all facing a platform. The chairs were painted gold and had little red cushions on the seats, but there was not a soul in sight. I sidled cautiously into the room. What a lovely, secret, silent place this was. The meeting of the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children must have taken place earlier in the day, and now they had all gone home. Even if they hadn't, even if they did suddenly come pouring in, they would be wonderful. The kind of people who would look with favour upon a young mouse trainer going about his business. At the back of the room, there was a large folding screen with Chinese dragons painted on it. I decided, just to be on the safe side, to go behind the screen and do my training there. I wasn't a bit frightened of the prevention of cruelty to children people, but there was always a chance that Mr. Stringer, the manager, might pop his head in round the door. If he did, if, if he saw the mice, the poor things would be in the hall porter's bucket of water before I could shout stop. I tiptoed to the back of the room and settled myself on a thick green carpet behind the big screen. What a splendid place this was! Ideal for mouse training! My blinding ambition, you see, my dream of dreams, was to one day be the owner of a white mouse circus. I would have a small stage with red curtains in front of it, and when the curtains were drawn apart, the audience would see my world-famous performing mice walking on tight ropes and swinging from trapezes, turning somersaults in the air, bouncing on trampolines and all the rest of it. I would have had white mice riding on white rats, and the rats would gallop furiously around and around the stage. I was beginning to picture myself travelling first class all over the globe with my famous white mouse circus and performing before all the crowned heads of Europe. I was about halfway through Mary's training when I suddenly heard voices outside the ballroom door.
the voices grew louder. They swelled into a great babble of speech from many throats. Luke recognized the voice of the awful hotel manager, Mr. Stringer. But thank heavens for the huge screen, he crouched behind it and peered through the crack between two of the folding sections. Well, ladies, I am sure you will be quite comfortable here. If there is anything we can do for you, do not hesitate to let me know. Tea will be served for all of you on the Sunshine Terrace after you have concluded your meeting. With that, he bowed and scraped himself out of the room as a vast herd of ladies from the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children came streaming in. They wore pretty clothes, and all of them had hats on their heads. In they came, talking their heads off. Luke decided to stay where he was and let them get on with their meeting while he got on with his mouse training. The back rows filled up first. They all seemed to want to sit as far back from the platform as possible. There was a lady wearing a tiny green hat in the middle of the back row who kept scratching the nape of her neck. Did she have dandruff? The lady next to her was doing the same thing. And the next one, and the next. The whole lot of them were doing it. One lady was pushing her fingers up underneath the hair on her head. And the hair, the entire head of hair, lifted upwards all in one piece. And the hand slid underneath the hair and went on scratching. She was wearing a wig. She was also wearing gloves. All of the pieces had clicked into place for Luke. He noticed with terror that the double doors had already closed behind Mr. Stringer. The meeting had begun. All the women, or rather witches, were now sitting motionless in their chairs and staring as though hypnotized at somebody who was suddenly appeared on the platform. That somebody was another woman. The first thing I noticed about this woman was her size. She was tiny, probably no more than four and a half feet tall. She looked quite young, I guess about 25 or six, and she was very pretty. She had on a rather stylish long black dress that reached right to the ground, and she wore black gloves that came up to her elbows. Unlike the others, she wasn't wearing a hat, but she didn't look to me like a witch at all. But she couldn't possibly not be one. Otherwise, what on earth was she doing up there on the platform? And why, for heaven's sake, were all the other witches gazing at her with such a mixture of adoration, awe, and fear? Very slowly. The young lady on the platform raised her hands to her face, her gloved fingers unhooking something behind her ears. And then, then she caught hold of her cheeks and lifted her face clean away. The whole of that pretty face came away in her hands. It was a mask. As she took off the mask, she turned sideways and placed it carefully upon a small table nearby. And then she turned around again and faced the crowd. (laughs) 
that face of hers was the most frightening thing you have ever seen. Just looking at it will give you the shakes all over. It was so crumpled and wizened, so shrunken and shriveled. It looked as though it had been pickled in vinegar. It was a fearsome and ghastly sight. There was something terribly wrong with it, something foul and putrid and decayed. It seemed quite literally to be rotting away at the edges and in the middle of the face, around the mouth and cheeks. You could see the skin all cankered and worm-eaten, as though maggots were working away in there. There are times when something is so frightful, you become mesmerized by it and can't look away. Luke was like that now. He was transfixed. He was numbed. He was magnetized by the sheer horror of this woman's features. But there was more to it than that. There was a look of serpents in those eyes of hers as they flashed around the audience. He knew immediately, of course, that this was none other than the Grand High Witch herself. The dolls! Are they chained and bolted? The doors are chained and bolted, your grandness. You may remove your gloves. You may remove your shoes. A sigh of relief went up from all the witches in the room as they kicked off their narrow high-heeled shoes. And then Luke got a glimpse under the chairs of several pairs of stockinged feet, square and completely toeless. Revolting they were, as though the toes had been sliced away from the feet with a carving knife. You may remove your wigs. Remove your wigs and get some fresh air into your spotty scalps. (sighs) Another sigh of relief arose from the audience as all the hands went up to the heads and all the wigs, with the hats still on them, were lifted away. They now appeared, row upon row of bald female heads, a sea of naked scalps, every one of them red and itchy from being rubbed by the lining of the wigs. I simply cannot tell you how awful they were, and somehow the whole sight was made more grotesque because underneath those frightful scabby bald heads, the bodies were dressed in fashionable and rather pretty clothes. It was monstrous. It was unnatural. Then I suddenly remembered another very important thing that Grandmama had told me. The dirtier you are, the harder it is for a witch to smell you out. How long since I'd last had a bath? Not for ages. Come to think of it, I don't believe I've had a bath since we arrived. I had last washed my hands or face. Certainly not this morning. Not yesterday either. I glanced down at my hands. They were covered 
with smudge and mud and goodness knows what else besides. So perhaps I had a chance after all. Witches of England. Miserable witches. Useless, lazy witches. Feeble, fribbling witches. You are a heap of idle, good-for-nothing worms. I am having my breakfast this morning. And I am looking out on the window at the beach. And what am I seeing? I am asking you, what am I seeing? I am seeing a revolting sight. I am seeing hundreds. I am seeing thousands of rotten, repulsive little children playing on the sand. It is putting me right off my foot. Why have you not got rid of them? Why have you not rubbed them all out, these filthy, smelly children? With each word she spoke, Flecks of pale blue phlegm shot from her mouth like little bullets. I am asking you, children smell. They stick out the world. We do not want these children around here. One child a week is no good to me. Is that the best you can do? We... We will do better. We will do much better. Better is no good either. I demand maximum results. So, here are my orders. My orders are that every single child in this country shall be rubbed out, squashed, squirted, squitted, and frittered before I come here again in one year's time. Do I make myself clear? All of them? We can't possibly wipe out all of them. Pussy. Who dares to argue with me? It was you, was it not? I... I didn't mean it, Your Grandness. I I didn't mean to argue. I was just talking to myself. You dare to argue with me? I was just, um, talking to myself. I, I swear it, Your Grandness. A stupid witch who answers back must burn until her bones are black. No, no. A foolish bitch without a brain must sizzle in the fiery flame. An idiotic bitch like you must rust upon the barbecue. 
Forgive me. Oh, your grandness, I, I didn't mean it. A virtue dares to say I'm wrong. You'll not be with us very long. A moment later, a stream of sparks that looked like tiny white hot metal fillings came shooting out of the Grand High Witch's eyes and flew straight toward the one who had dared to the spark striking against her and burrowing into her, and she screamed, a horrible howling scream, and a puff of smoke rose up around her. A smell of burning meat filled the room. Nobody moved. The Grand High Witch glared around the room. I hope nobody else is going to make me cross today. Frizzled like a fritter, cooked like a carrot. You will never see her again. Now, we can get back to business. Children are revolting. We will fight them all away. We will scrub them off the face of the earth. We will flush them down the drain. Children are foul and filthy. Children are smelling of dog's droppings. They are worse than dog droppings. Dog droppings is smelling like violets and primroses compared with children. To talk about children is making me... I'm feeling sick, even thinking about them. Fetch me a basin. So now, I am having a plan. I am having a gigantic plan for getting rid of every single child in the whole of England. We shall swish them and swallow them and we shall make to disappear every single smelly little brat in England in one stroke. The witches cheered and cried praise. Shut up and listen. Listen very carefully. And let us not be having any muck-ups. Each and every one of you is to go back to your hometowns immediately and resign from your jobs. Resign. Give notice. Retire. And after you have resigned from your jobs, each and every very of you will be going out and you will be buying sweet shops. Each of you will be buying for herself a sweet shop. You will be buying the very best and most respectable sweet shops in England. I am voting no two-penny, half-penny from my little tobacco-selling newspaper sweet shops. I am voting you to get only the very best filled up high with piles and piles of luscious sweets and tasty chocks. 
you will be having no trouble in getting what you want because you will be offering four times as much as a shop is worth and nobody is refusing an offer like that. Money is not a problem. To us leeches, as you know very well, I have brought with me six trunks stuffed full of English banknotes, all new and crisp, and all of them, all of them homemade. The children will come flocking to my shop. I'll feed them poison sweets and poison chocolates and wipe them all out like weasels. It was you? You over there! You blithering fapkin! You brainless bog vampire! Are you not realizing that if you are going round poisoning little children, you will be caught in five minutes flat? Never in my life am I hearing such a bosh for the big suggestion coming from a leech. The entire audience cowered and shook. If such a tom-fiddling idea is all you can be coming up with, then it is no wonder England is still swarming with rotten little children. Do you not know that we witches are working only with magic? So each of you is owning a magnificent sweet shop. The next move is that each of you will be announcing in the window of your shop that on a certain day you will be having a great girl's opening with free sweets and chocks to every child. You will prepare yourselves for this great gal's opening by filling every chalk and every sweet in your shop with my very latest and greatest magic formula. This is known as Formula 86 Delayed Action Mouse Maker. Again, her grandness has concocted yet another one of her wondrous magic child killers. How do we make it a brilliant one? Exercise patience. First, I am explaining to you how my Formula 86 delayed action mouse maker is working. Listen carefully. Delayed Action Mouse Maker is a green liquid, and one droplet in each chalk or sweet will be quite enough. So, here's what happens. Child eats chalk, which has in it Delayed Action Mouse Maker. Child goes home feeling fine. Child goes to bed still feeling fine. Child wakes up in the morning, still okay. 
child goes to school still feeling fine. Formula, you understand, is delayed action and is not working yet. It is starting to work at exactly nine o'clock when the child is arriving at school. Child arrives at school. Delayed action, mouse maker. Immediately starts to work. Child starts to shrink. Child is starting to grow fur. Child is starting to grow tail. All is happening in precisely 26 seconds. After 26 seconds, child is not a child any longer. It is a mouse. A mouse would have prompt to his thought. Classrooms will all be swarming with mice. And pandemonium will be reigning in every school in England. Teachers will be hopping up and down. Women teachers will be standing on desks and holding up skirts and yelling, Help! 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 <laughs> and what is happening next in every school? The Grand High Witch stretched her stringy neck forward and grinned at the audience, showing two rows of pointed teeth, slightly blue. Mastraps is coming out. Teachers is all rushing and running out and getting mastraps and batting them with cheese and putting them down all over school. Mice is nibbling cheese. Mouse traps is going off. All over school, mouse traps is going snippety snip. And mouse heads is rolling across the floors like marbles. All over England in every school in England. I hope you haven't forgotten that while all this was going on, I was still stuck behind the screen on my hands and knees with one eye glued to the crack. I don't know how long I'd been there, but it seemed like forever. The worst part of it was not being allowed to cough, make a sound, and knowing that if I did, I was as good as dead. And all the way through... I was living in constant terror that one of the witches in the back row was going to get a whiff of my presence through those special nose holes of hers. My only hope, as I saw it, was the fact that I hadn't washed for days. Attention now! I've bought everybody's attention, for I will now give to you the recipe for concocting Formula 86 Delayed Action Mouse Maker. 
Get out pencils and paper. Handbags were opened all over the room and notebooks were fished out. I had to find something that would cause the children to become very small very quickly. All you have to do if you're wishing to make a child very small is to look at him through the wrong end of a telescope. So you take the wrong end of a telescope and you boil it until it gets soft. How long does that take? 21 hours of boiling. And while this is going on, you take exactly 45 brown mice and you chop off their tails with a carving knife and you fry the tails in hair oil until they are nice and crisp. What do we do with all those mice who have had their tails chopped off? You simmer them in fruit juice for one hour. But listen to me. So far, I have only given you the easy part of the recipe. The really difficult problem is to put in something that will have a genuine delayed action result. Something that can be eaten by children on a certain day, but which will not start working on them until 9 o'clock the next morning. When they arrive at school. An alarm clock. You can set a 24-hour alarm clock today. And at exactly 9 o'clock tomorrow, it will go off. But we will need 5 million alarm clocks. We'll need one for each child. Both each Idiots! If you are wanting a streak, you do not cook the whole cow! It is the same with alarm clocks. One clock will make enough for a thousand children. Here is what you do. You set your alarm clock to go off at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Then you roast it in the oven until it is crisp and tender. Are you writing this down? Next, you take your boiled telescope and your fried mouse tails and your cooked mice and your roasted alarm clock and all together you put them into the mixer. Then you mix them at full speed. This will give you a nice, thick paste. While the mixer is still mixing, you must add to it the yolk of one gruntle's egg. So, you mix in the egg, and one after the other, you also mix in the following items. The claw of a crab cruncher. The beak of a blabbersnitch. The snout of a grubble skirt, and the tongue of a cat springer. I trust you are not having any trouble finding those.
We will spear the blender snatch and trap the crab cruncher and shoot the gobble squirt and catch the cat springer in his burrow. Excellent. Then you have mixed everything together in the mixer. You will have a most marvelous looking green liquid. Put one drop, just one titchy droplet of this liquid into a chocolate or a sweet. And at nine o'clock the next morning, the child who ate it will turn into a mouse in 26 seconds. But one word of warning. Never increase the dose. Never put more than one drop into each sweet or chocolate. And never give more than one sweet or chocolate to each child. An overdose of delayed action mouse maker will mess up the timing of the alarm clock and cause the child to turn into a mouse too early. A large overdose might even have an instant effect. And you wouldn't want that, would you? You wouldn't want the children turning into mice right there in your sweet shops. That would give the game away. So, be very careful. Do not overdose. I am now going to prove to you that this recipe is working to perfection. You understand, of course that you can set the alarm clock to go off at any time you like. It does not have to be nine o'clock. So yesterday, I am personally preparing a small quantity of the magic formula in order to give to you a public demonstration. But I am making one small change in the recipe. Before I am roasting the alarm clock, I am setting it to go off not at 9 o'clock the next morning, but at half past 3 the next afternoon. Which means half past 3 this afternoon, and that is in precisely 7 minutes time. So, what am I doing yesterday with this magic liquid? I will tell you what I am doing. I am putting one droplet of it into a very squishy chocolate bar. And I am giving this bar to a repulsive, smelly little boy who is hanging around the lobby of the hotel. I watched this repulsive little brute gobbling up this squishy bar of chocolate and when he had finished, I said to him, Was it good? He said it was great. So, I said to him, Would you like some more? And he said, Yes. So I said, I will give you six more chocolate bars like that if you will meet me in the ballroom of this hotel at 25 past 3 
tomorrow afternoon. Six bars, cried this greedy little swine. I'll be there. You bet I'll be there. So, the stage is set. The proof of the pudding is about to begin. Do not forget that before I am roasting the alarm clock yesterday, I am setting it for half past three today. It is now exactly 25 minutes past three, and the nasty little stinker who will be turning into a mouse in five minutes' time should at this very moment be standing outside the door. And by gum, she was absolutely right. The boy, whoever he might be, was already rattling the door handle and banging on the doors with his fists. Vic, put on your wigs, put on your gloves, put on your shoes. Let me in. Where are all those chocolate bars you promised me? I'm here to collect. Dish them out. He is not only smelly, but he is also greedy. <laughs> Remove the chains from the doors and let him in. Why... Hello, little man. How lovely to see you. You have co- come for your chocolate bars, have you not? They are all ready for you. Do come in. I recognized him at once. He was called Bruno Jenkins, and he was staying in the hotel with his parents. I didn't care for him. He was one of those boys who was always eating something whenever you meet him. Meet him in the hotel lobby, and he was stuffing sponge cake into his mouth. Pass him in the corridor, and he's fishing potato crisps out of a bag by a fistful. Catch sight of him in the hotel garden, and he's wolfing down a dairy milk bar and has two more sticking out of his trouser pocket. What's more, Bruno never stopped boasting about how his father made more money than my father and that they owned three cars. But worse than that, yesterday morning I had found him kneeling on the flagstones of the hotel terrace with a magnifying glass in his hand. There was a column of ants marching across the flagstones and Bruno Jenkins was focusing the sun through the magnifying glass and roasting the ants one by one. I doubted very much that he was about to turn into a mouse. Although, I must confess that I was secretly hoping it might happen. Darling boy, I have your chocolates all ready for you. Do come up here first and say hello to all these lovely ladies. Okay, where are my six bars of chocolate? The time is now one minute before half past three. What the heck's going on? What is this? Give me my chocolate! 
30 seconds to go. Give me the chocolate. Give me the chocolate and let me get out of here. 20 seconds. Will one of you crazy folks kindly tell me what all this is about? 10 seconds. 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. We have ignition! Bruno jumped as though someone had stuck a hat pin deep into his bottom and he yelled. Ow! He jumped so high that he landed on a small table up there on the stage and he started hopping about on the top of this table, waving his arms and yelling his head off. Then suddenly, he became silent. His whole body stiffened. Bruno was getting smaller by the second. Now his clothes seemed to be disappearing and brown fur was growing all over his body. Suddenly he had a tail. And then he had whiskers. Now he had four feet. It was all happening so quickly it was a matter of seconds only and all at once he wasn't there anymore. Instead, there was just a small brown mouse running around on the tabletop. She's done it. It works. It's fantastic. It's Formula 86, the late action mouse maker. You are a miracle, oh brainy one. Silence and sit down. All those over 70, put up your hands. It comes to me that you ancient ones will not be able to climb high trees in search of Gruntle's eggs, nor will you be able to catch the crab cruncher who lives high up on rocky cliffs. I can't exactly see you sprinting after the springy and speedy cat springer either, or diving into deep waters to spear the blabbersnitch or striding the bleak moors with a gun under your arm to shoot the grubblesquirt. You are too old and feeble for those things. Your ancient ones have served me well over many years, and I do not wish to deny you the pleasure of bumping off a few thousand children each just because you've become old and feeble. I have therefore prepared personally with my own hands, a limited quantity of delayed action mouse maker, which I will distribute to the ancient ones before you leave the hotel. In this tiny bottle is 500 doses of mouse maker. Is enough to turn 500 children into mice. Each of your ancient bonds will get two of these bottles. Here is the timetable for the remainder of your stay in this hotel. Right now, we must go out onto the Sunshine Terrace and have tea with that ridiculous manager. Next, at six o'clock tonight, 
Those bitches who are too old to climb the trees after Gruntel's eggs will report to my room to receive two bottles each of Mouse Maker. My room number is 454. Do not forget it. Then, at 8 o'clock, all of you will assemble in the dining room for supper. We are the lovely ladies of the RSPCC. And they are setting up two long tables specially for us. But do not forget to put the cotton plugs up your noses. That dining room will be full of filthy little children. And without those nose plugs, the stink will be unbearable. Apart from that, remember to behave normally at all times. Is everything clear? Any questions? I have one question, Your Grandness. What happens if one of the chocolates we are giving away in our sweet shops gets eaten by a grown-up? Well, that's just too bad for the grown-up. Our meeting is over. Out you go. The witches stood up and began gathering their things together. I was watching them through the crack and hoping to heaven that they would hurry up and leave so that I might be safe at last. Wait! Hold everything. Dog's droppings. Just then I got a whiff of dog's droppings. Yes. Yes, it's not strong, but it's there. I mean, it's here. It's definitely somewhere not too far away. What's going on down there? Mildred's just got a whiff of dog's droppings, your grandness. What rubbish is this? She has dog droppings on the brain. There are no children in this room. Hang on, hang on, everybody. Don't move. I'm getting in again. It's getting stronger. It's hitting me harder now. Can't the rest of you smell it? She's right. She's absolutely right. Dog's droppings, it is strong and foul. Find it, track it down, root it out. Follow your noses till you get root it out, this small lump of down. Don't let it escape. If it is here, it is observed the most secret things. It must be exterminated immediately. It's here, it's behind the screen. Come and get it. Catch it then, you idiots. Spread out in a line across the room and close in on it and grab it. Corner this filthy little gumboyle and seize it and bring it up here to me. The witches spread out as they were told. They advanced towards Luke, some from one end, some from the other, and some came down the middle between the rows of empty chairs. They had him cornered. From sheer and absolute terror, he began to scream. Bring it here! Bring 
this spying little bird appear to me? I was carried up on the platform with my arms and legs held tight by many hands. I lay there suspended in air, facing the ceiling. I saw the Grand High Witch standing over me, grinning at me in the most horrible way. She held up the small blue bottle of mouse maker, strong fingers pinched my nose. I kept my mouth closed tight, and I held my breath. But I couldn't do it for long. My chest was bursting, and I opened my mouth to get one big, quick breath of air. And as I did so, the Grand High Witch poured the entire contents of the little bottle down my throat. the pain and the fire. It felt as though a kettle full of boiling water had been poured in my mouth. My throat was going up in flames. Then, very quickly, the frightful burning, searing, scorching feeling started to spread down my chest and into my tummy and on into my arms and legs and all over my body. And I screamed and screamed, but once again, the gloved hand was clasped over my lips. Next thing I felt was my skin beginning to tighten. How else can I describe it? I was quite literally a tightening and shrinking of the skin all over my body from the top of my head to the tips of my fingers to the ends of my toes. I felt as though I was a balloon and someone was twisting the top of the balloon and twisting and twisting the balloon and it was getting smaller and smaller and the skin was getting tighter and tighter and soon it was going to burst. Then the squeezing began. This time I was shut inside a suit of iron and somebody was turning a screw and with each turn of the screw the iron suit became smaller and smaller so that I was squeezed like an orange into a pulpy mess with the juice running out of my sides. After that came a fierce prickling sensation all over my skin, or what was left of my skin, as though tiny needles were forcing their way out through the surface of the skin from the inside. And this, I realize now, was the growing of a mouse fur. I also noticed a pair of little furry front paws resting on the floor. I was able to move those paws. They were mine. At that moment, I realized I was not a little boy any longer. I was a mouse.